A farmer's time is valuable. That's why Blaine's Farm and Fleet has made shopping for your must-haves quick and easy. Simply order online at farmandfleet.com and pick up your items in just one hour in their convenient drive-thru. Or try Farm and Fleet's same-day local delivery option. The Swearig Farm in Dane County still has remnants of not only its first settler, but the Native Americans that lived there before that. I'm Stephanie Hoff for the Midwest Farm Report with another story of a farm that is celebrating 150 years of operating in the same family. Even the original stone barn is still used as a stripping house for tobacco. Tade Swearig tells me all about the story of his grandfather's grandfather's journey to Pleasant Springs. It was 180 acres. It's in Pleasant Springs by Utica. We're west of Utica on Highway B, 2134 Highway B. In 1842 is when he walked over from Racine in in the fall, and he found the property, and then walked back and then brought his kids back in 40, not his kids, his wife and his material and all his stuff from Racine in 1843. As May, the last days of May, they called it. That's what he states had in the magazine. And I just cannot believe this Canute Rowey guy walked over from Racine. Oh, the story about Racine, why Racine, not Milwaukee. Milwaukee was a lower, a more marshy area, and it was low areas, and it had disease, and people didn't like that then. So Racine was a better port, they called it, when I read. So they, he would walk over. I just, unbelievable. This guy, he'd walk over and walk back and take his, you know, it's just unbelievable how people, how could they do that? <laughs> walk through the wilderness, walk where you go, and here, I think I'll live here, and then they go back and then come back again. The stuff he had to go through. What grandfather would this be to you? He'd be great, great grandfather. My grandfather's grandfather. So he walked over from Racine. Do you know why? There's no trail. <laughs> he, he made the trail from Racine over this way. Yeah, and then he took his ox and cart back with his wife in the spring, and they made the trail to come over here. Well, they wanted land, and there was a land. They were, all, they were always coming over this way towards Kashkanan Prairie. That was a kind of like a little settlement over there, a little further to the east. And they wanted land, you know, and that's and they moved over this way. Everybody came over this way. So I assume there was no previous owner then. Was it, did they buy it oh, from no, the no, state? Oh, no, 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 yeah, there was no state yet either. I don't mean, see, when they say they bought the land, I don't know how, I think it was a claim or something. I'm not sure, because there was no deed for the first part. That only came from his son when his son got it from his dad. And they came over here and found this plot, and they talked about this in the Norwegian history, too. There's a bunch of books that I'd found online, and they talked about that his travel over here and his where he's buried up at West Koshkanon. They have a plaque right there in his grave saying first white settler in the Pleasant Springs. Wow. So I then they they had to start building, I'm sure. Can you do you know, you know, what were the first buildings that were put up and what did they farm? There was wheat and rye, I believe, I'm not sure. That's the thing that they planted and they could set they could bring that to the mill. When they had the mills later on in Fort Atkinson in Madison, they would bring it up there. And the first place was a log cabin, which was still on the farm up until last year. We had to take it down because it wasn't very good, but we got all the logs yet. And then he built a barn right next to the 
log cabin. The barn's still there because that's all brick, stone and brick. So that's still there. But And the log cabin was there, and that's all they had. They had a thing they talked about when he uh, built his little hut there, and it was just a, God, how did they put it? They had two logs they put between the trees, you know, and they put a tarp over. That's where they lived there for the first spring until they got the log cabin built. That was 1843, and they said they remember going to, and there was Indian mounds up in the woods, and then Indians would have their teepees all around the, where they had their log cabin, so a lot of times they would camp in the same spot and go hunting with them. It was quite quite interesting reading about it. And he called them the wilderness friends. So that stone barn, that's kind of unique, and that's still standing? Yeah, it's our stripping house now, <laughs> stripping tobacco. It's a big tobacco farm. We've had tobacco on there since they started tobacco, <laughs> and it's been on continuously grown on that farm. Yeah, and that's now the stripping house strip tobacco in that place yeah so okay tell me then how how did the farm uh get passed on how did it wind up to well, you the first one's canute hellickson Rowey and his wife annie she is there she actually lived there till 1909 canute died in 1874 and his son hellick his eldest son he took it over and owned it all the way to 1909 that's when he passed away and then that's how it got to the switch over to the Swerig. That's our last name. And that was actually Canute's eldest daughter married Ole Peter Swerg. <laughs> they bought the farm then in 1909 and had it all the way up to only 29. And he passed away. And my uh, grandpa bought the farm in 29. His name was Clayton Swerig. He bought it in 1929 and owned it all the way up to 87, and then my brother bought it, which his name is Clayton, too. Him and his wife, Marie, bought it in 1987, and they own the farm right now. What are some of the changes that the farm went through? You said there's always been tobacco. I don't know when it started. It was always, you know, they had wheat and corn, and I don't know when corn started, but wheat was the major thing. What about livestock? We had cattle. There was dairy cows all the way up until the 60s, the late 60s. They had dairy cattle, and we just didn't have a big enough barn for that, and I don't think they wanted to expand, so we went to cash crop. Just We got rid of, we sold the cows, and they went to not dairy cows. They had beef cattle and steers, pigs, chickens, lots of them. I remember lots of chickens when we were little kids. What were those years like during war or during the Great Depression? Did you hear stories about that, or were any stories passed on? Well, they talked about money. If you had like a dime or a nickel, was quite a lot. Of, you could do a lot of things. My dad always said, "I go really." And then they were farmers, so they had other other issues going on. You know, they had to get keep growing food for every you know everything. But they said it was just money was so having dollar bills or a ten or a, it was impo- you know unheard of. You know, they just no there was no money around is what he said. Do you remember any severe weather events that were talked about, like droughts or floods? They really don't talk about that. I know a tornado went through Stoughton. That was probably the major thing, that tornado, that last tornado back in was that the 90s. That was probably the biggest event. They don't talk much about the droughts or anything, like the drought that was out west. But I know, like, the, eight, the roads back then, I did find, like, uh, the old wagon trail roads that were in Dane County. They showed pictures of that. Like in Utica had a big five five way intersection in it. <laughs> that was kind of weird. 
the wagon, the trails are so much different than they were. I was looking, trying to look for uh, Indian trails, and I take it that probably is where the wagon trails went off of, but it's hard to find that. Like the the road going to Stoughton was totally different because there was so much high water was higher then. The water level was a lot higher than it was, is right now, and there was different ways to get to around Dane County. Kate, I want to go back to those buildings now. What uh, changes or improvements had been made? Had anything new been built on the land? You know, what's there now? The original um, log cabin had a big addition put on, a really big addition put on that for a large family could live there because we come from a family of 10 in our family. So there was a big addition installed. I supposed right around the 20s, 1920s in that area. There was a large addition. We've had uh, a lot of tobacco sheds were uh, uh, built. Uh, the bigger barn was built down below there that could handle the cows, you know, because the first barn was really small. That was built. Granaries, numerous things. I told you about the woods. It's got the Indian mounds in it, our woods, but they're power mounds. They're not... Uh, any burial ones. They called them power mounds. They were of animals. They built a, you know different kinds of animals for power. We've had a couple of uh, people come there and they said that's what they were, any mounds, power mounds, they called them. And then the logs are going to get built again. And uh, when he built, my brother eventually wants to, he has two farms right now. He wants to sell the one and then he'll move back. He'll be on the farm there. And then they'll build a house and they're going to use the logs to build a building in that same location so we build it but a smaller version of that log cabin what about and the then, future generations i guess what are the plans for this family farm has that been talked about yeah it's probably not as <laughs> clear because <laughs> i don't you know i know my brother has a daughter and uh i don't know if in farming is going to be in her life or not <laughs> so the future is not a really clear Right now, we're not exactly sure what's going to happen to the farm in the future. I have a son, and but I don't think farming is in his future, so we're not sure. My brother, we're 60 years old, so probably how many more years of the farm. I know it probably still say stay in the name, you know, sword name for a while, or would still stay in the family. What makes the farm unique to you? Well, we grew up as kids in the 60s, and farming was our life, and that was everything, you know, it was like... I tell kids when I went to school, school was my vacation. <laughs> we worked on the farm, and we didn't know anything else. We didn't know anything better. That was it. We grew up, grew tobacco, baled hay for the cows, you know, and we worked all the time. We worked in the summer. That, you know, it wasn't summer vacation from school. It was summer on the farm. <laughs> it was our way of life. We thought it was the best thing there ever could be, you know. You didn't know anything, you didn't know anything else. And you feel sorry for like the kids now, the way we grew up. It was, I thought it was a great time to grow up before internet, before cell phones. That's Tade Swearig sharing his story of the family farm in Dane County. His family is accepting the Sesquicentennial Farm Award this year. You can find more of these stories at MidwestFarmReport.com, courtesy of Compere Financial.